Please support this content at Patreon, YouTube, or PayPal. On this episode, I give my best insight into the Jonathan Roop case. I go over the disappearance of Sherry Mahan. I examine the craziness in the Morphew murder case. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including my rock music shirts. I'm Ed Dunsell, and this is Unfound Live for February 26th, 2024. Hey, what do you say? Let's go live. Seems like a fine thing to do on a Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Hope all of you are doing well. This is, of course, the Unfound Live for February 26th, 2024. And I have a spectacular, stupendous, marvelous show for you tonight. I'm going to talk to you about a missing person in Unfound Featured. He has officially been declared deceased. We're going to get into that. Going to get into a disappearance that happened very close to where I used to live in Leechburg, Pennsylvania. In fact, I lived there at the time. A little more Mary Jane Van Gilder info, uh, something uh, that occurred to me yesterday, and I emailed Adam, and he, he got back to me. I want to talk about this young man from Virginia Tech who took off and he was a missing person, but now he's been found, but it doesn't sound like he's going back to Virginia anytime soon. And uh, what else uh, do I have here on maybe a little, uh, I don't know for sure we're going to get to it or not, but maybe a little more uh, Suzanne Morphew talk. We'll just have to see. And before we are done, I, of course, talk about this Friday's, this coming Friday, so March 1st, the March 1st episode of Unfound, I'll talk a little bit about uh, the woman who we will be featuring on Friday. So a lot to look forward to over the next couple hours, and of course, I have some other uh, things that I want to get to tonight. While you are watching, you know, I got to mention it. I got to mention it every time. Please, as you are watching tonight, uh, give this video a thumbs up. Give this show a thumbs up. Subscribe if you are not yet subscribed. And if you'd like to help Unfound, you can do that in a variety of ways. I You can hit the join button below if you're watching on... Um, YouTube, hit the join button below or patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. It's right there on the screen or paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. Or if you'd like to contribute, you really think we do a fine, fine job here at unfound. You can, uh, during the live show tonight, you can hit that little square button with a dollar sign in the middle and contribute what is using what is called super chat. So there you go. That sets up everything for tonight. 
Uh, let's see who is in here. Of course, it's very early on. We're only a few minutes into the show, but let's see who's here. Hello, Charlie. Mary Jane says that she loves the lives. Me too. What a coincidence, Mary Jane. Macy, what's going on, Jasmine? Uh, Macy, thank you for the kind words. Glenn. Hello, Glenn. Thank you for the, uh, emails that I've gotten through, uh, to me with people, being found. Uh, thank you for that, Glenn. Uh, Macy, how is the new trivia location? I'll surely answer that question, Macy. Uh, eventually, thank you. Suzanne, the real, oh my gosh, the real, where you been, the real? From Australia, where you been? It's great to see you. I hope you're doing well down under. Um, good to see you in the chat tonight. Hello uh, from Missing and Forgotten. Good to see you. And Hazel coming to us uh, from across the ocean. And uh, this is uh, Shanna from, we got a couple Australians in here tonight. I love it. Hello, Shanna. How are you? Michelle says, first time uh, watching live, I'm stuck at home with COVID. Well, Michelle, I hate hearing that, but I'm glad you're tuned in. Uh, may I say you're doing something very constructive with your COVID time. Congratulations on that. Charlene, having great today. It's now 2.03 a.m. Uh, in Ireland. So we got England. We got Ireland. We got New Zealand. We got Australia. I can hardly stand it. Wow, that is spectacular. Hello, Kathy. What's going on with you? Good to see you as always, Kathy. Christine. And Kathy says, just finished Emily's interview. You have covered 14 disappearances from – I knew Kathy would look that up. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about the episode that came out today. Thank you, Kathy. 14 disappearances from Arkansas. Quite a few. Thank you for looking that up. Charlotte, what's going on? Good to see you as well. And Cherie. There's Cherie. Wasn't sure if Cherie's going to make it tonight. Uh, she's very busy with her regular job. And uh, so it's good to th see you, Shuri. Thanks for making it. The Real says there's a couple of missing persons cases dominating the news over here at the moment. Not sure if you're get they're getting a mention over there. Uh, not ringing a bell, The Real. Maybe you want to put the names in the chat and everybody can check them out. Please do that. All right. So that's everybody. Uh, maybe I'll uh, revisit everybody's comments here in a, a little bit. And I have to answer that question about uh, trivia. Uh, good question there. As for me, uh, what has gone on since you saw me last? My voice has gotten better after me scarring it a little bit a couple days before the, the last live show. But I uh, had to take some days off, but I did get some singing in on Friday and Saturday. And then Saturday night. Uh, speaking of singing, I went to see Glenn Hughes over here. He used to be in Dirt Deep Purple, but he's been on his own for many, many years. He is in the Rock Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And went over there and saw him. A really great show. This is the second time that I saw him. I saw him like back just in September over here at the Capitol Theater, but it was a different venue this time. And I did post some video. Um if you're friends with me on Facebook, you got to see how close I was to the stage, and that was pretty cool. And this uh, kind of a hair metal, glam metal band from the late 80s, early 90s 
opened. Well, two bands technically opened, but my brother and I really didn't get there until the one band was done. Um, enough's enough open for them. Although there's only one member of the original band still in the band. And if you're maybe saying, man, I'm not sure if I know that band or not. They were a bit of a one hit wonder. Uh, they did a song called fly high Michelle and it's a good tune. No doubt about it. Fantastic song. And it was good to see them. They maybe played, I don't know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, something like that. And then Glenn and his guys came on at about 9.30, and they played right through 11 o'clock. Great show. And really being close. And my ears were ringing a little bit uh, yesterday, but uh, today everything is back to normal. But I did get uh, a Glenn Hughes shirt. I didn't get one last time when I saw him, but I did get one this time. And I once, uh, once again, if you're friends with me on Facebook, my private page, uh, I did post a picture of that shirt and I actually took time, um, yesterday to do a count of how many rock, you know, music, heavy metal shirts I have. And the number, if you can believe it, is 36. <laughs> 12 of those, which, what would that be? One third of them are Iron Maiden shirts. And uh, the next most I have are Judas Priest. And I actually went down the list and I don't have it in front of me. But I have like one off. So many bands, I just have one of their shirts. But I have a couple Def Leppard shirts. I have two Van Halen shirts. Two or three Kiss shirts, two or five Judas Priest shirts, and then some one-offs, a Dokken, uh, you know, the Glenn Hughes one now, um, Black Sabbath, Badlands, Kicks, Tesla. But it eventually all adds up to 36 shirts. And... Um, I can tell you probably I'll be buying more. I look at the list and I'm like, well, how don't I have that one? How don't I have that one? So I will, uh, throughout this year, uh, I will um, continue to uh, uh, get them. And very not many of them have I bought actually at concerts. Most of them I've gotten just found, you know, just order them online. Like if some of my Iron Maiden shirts, yes. Um, did I get a Judas Priest shirt when I went to see them a couple years ago? I think I did. Glenn Hughes, I got a sh that shirt. But of course, like, Kicks, I've never seen them. The, uh, Black Sabbath, of course, they aren't together anymore, technically. And uh, Van Halen, I, I've never saw the, them in concert. So a lot of the shirts that I have are groups that, you know, the shirts I did not get at concerts. So I just go online and... You know, there's a lot of different places, and you should know. You buy them online; they're not—I mean, they're not expensive shirts. They're not cheap either, but they're very good quality. They're not these kind of shirts that if you wash them once, they're going to really, really shrink up, and you know, it's gonna, they're going to fade and everything else. My shirts have been washed many times because I do wear them. You know, I collect them, but I wear them too, and they all still look pretty, pretty good. So if you're ever thinking about that, 
you're probably going to, you know, it's going to be a good deal and, you know, it won't be ruined after two or three wearings. There's only one shirt. It was a Def Leppard shirt, actually, that shrunk on me for some reason. And so technically I have 37, but one of them I can't wear anymore. So there's that. So that was a great show. Uh, don't have any tentative, uh, no plans to see any other bands uh, right at this second. But I may. There are a couple that I'm looking at maybe for March and April and May that I might go uh, to see. We'll just have to see. But I love going. This was something that I really got into earlier in my life. But now that I've, I live here in Florida and the venues are really good and the tickets prices are reasonable and everything. I mean, there's so many great venues just here in Pinellas County that um, you got to go. You know, whether it's to see Sticks and 38 Special or The Cult, Glenn Hughes, Ingve Malmstein, Kiss or Def Leppard over there. So, of course, I saw Metallica over there. Or not Metallica. Megadeth of David Mustaine would kill me. Um, saw them over there. We have a lot of great venues in this part of Florida to go and, and see music. And then, of course, the bigger ones like Amelie Arena. You know, if, you know, if the band like Iron Maiden, you know, has a huge crowd. So it's really good to be in this area and everything's very reasonable, easy to get to. So it's all good. Uh, in other news, uh, got out through the discs a little bit for the first time in a while. I do have a one day tournament on Saturday over at USF. We'll see how I'm feeling. Um, but I'm supposed to play over there two rounds on Saturday. This is a course that's really only open to tournaments like once a year. So, um, I'll be over there, USF, uh, University of South Florida. And, um, it's on the USF, uh, campus, the big campus. They have like satellite campuses, but the main campus over there near Tampa, um, they're having a tournament over there on Saturday. It looks like the weather's going to be really nice. It's going to be in like in the high 60s. It's not going to rain. So it should be not going to be too windy. So it should be perfect disc golf co- conditions. We'll just see if I'm in a playing mood or not. We'll just have to see. But I did go out and throw today, and it felt and it felt fine. I felt great. So I'll probably throw a couple more times before Saturday gets here. And uh, to answer your question, who was that? Uh, that answer asked me that question about, um, you know, la, 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 trivia. Who was it? I got to go back up here. Uh, Macy. New trivia place. Um, we went there Wednesday night. And the big problem at, at Finley's is going to be getting a table. That place was absolutely packed. Uh, trivia starts at 7. My sister-in-law, Laureen, got there five at 5.30. So an hour and a half before it was supposed to start. Couldn't get a full-size table. Um, she got a booth, so we only had a team of four. <laughs> Whereas usually we might have a team of six, seven, eight. So, and the other thing is that they only reserve tables if you come in in the top three the week before, and we did not do that. 
So a little bit up in the air about, I mean, how much time and effort do we want to put into this and in trying to get a table over there? I mean, if you have to, I mean, if you have to get there at three o'clock in the afternoon, then we really start, got to start questioning what's going on here, but it's a good place. I love the way they do the trivia there. I like the food. I like the place. I got no problem with that. It's just a bit smaller than where we used to go at Fat Cats. And, you know, looking how many people they have there on Wednesday, the place could afford to be bigger. Um, so I just don't know what's going to go on there, to be honest. Uh, I, I think maybe it's just because of maybe because all the snowbirds and everybody are here and maybe a, a month from now to kind of clear out at least a little bit. Maybe not. Because uh, none of us want to get in a situation where we have to get there at 3 o'clock. It's crazy. <clears throat> Although I did say that I would go. I mean, they do have Wi-Fi there. I could bring my computer and get some work done, I guess, sitting at a table and stuff. But I'm thinking maybe that'll just be too weird as well. So it's really up in the air to answer your question, Macy. I have no problem with how they run trivia. Uh, I love the questions, a lot of questions, a lot of interesting way, you know, ways they do it or they're different from, you know, the, how we've played trivia before, but if you can't get your whole team there, you know, if six or seven people want to show up and you can't accommodate all of them, then, you know, what are we doing? Are we a team or not? But in other news, even if that doesn't work out on Wednesday, I found out about a trivia place that isn't too far from me. Of course, I went there on Tuesday. I'm not going to get into that. Too uh, long story. But I did find out a pl about a place on Thursday evenings, and what they do is music trivia. They play a snippet of a song, and you have to name the artist and the song. So I might think about going to that on Thursday evening, probably just by myself. So a lot of different choices around here. you know. So if that doesn't work out at Finley's, you know, we may be able to find um, – Somewhere else. It's just we all live in different areas and it's kind of a centralized location for everybody. So we just don't know uh, what's going to happen. So what's everybody um, saying here? Uh, the real Jesse Baird, who is a TV presenter while wow, he's missing. And his partner, Luke Davies, are missing. It's not only were murdered by police officer using his police gun. They were uh, on-duty or off-duty, Officer The Real. He's in custody, but he won't say where the bodies are. Oh, my gosh. Jesse Baird, TV presenter, so kind of famous person. Uh, and his partner, Luke Davies. I wonder, um, I don't know how you can how much you can type about it in the chat there, The Real. But... Um, you know, do we even know what the circumstances were? Huh. Uh, Emily, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about Emily's episode coming out today. Hazel says, I have nearly as many shirts as she has shoes. Look at you, Hazel, uh, cracking the joke. And uh, best place to find concert shirts, thrift shops, half price usually. That's a great idea. I'm going to have to put that on my list of things to do. Of course, as you know, for me, Sherry, I'm fairly particular. I'm looking for, you know, particular bands, particular shirts, particular colors and particular sizes and everything else. So I might have to put that on my list. Thank you, Cherie. 
Uh, goodbyes, off-duty officers, ex-boyfriend of Jesse's. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, Hazel. Uh, case, I guess Hazel knows about what the real is talking about as well. Well, that doesn't sound good at all. Uh, turned himself in but won't say where the bodies are. So, oh, my goodness. Relationships, what do I keep saying? Relationships, number one cause of disappearances, and that's what that's sounding like now. Uh, I will have to look that up. Maybe um, there'll be some more details by next Monday, and I would love to talk about it next week. So those are some of the things uh, that have gone on with me personally since you saw me last. I'm doing uh, pretty good. Place is good. The weather uh, has been beautiful. And uh, I don't know, just getting a lot of work done. It's been good talking to a lot of people. Very excited about that. Um, coming up on five years of living in this condo. And I want you to know that every day I wake up in this place, I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? You know, look out the beautiful view and everything. It's just crazy. But I, I like this place. Uh, but as I've told the the realtor who found this place for me five years ago, the only complaint, well, I have two complaints about this place. One is the floor. The floor is impossible to clean. It's tiled, but it has these very deep, it looks like it's, it's fake rock or maybe it's real rock. I don't know, but it has these deep grooves between each stone or whatever. You practically need a leaf blower to clean this place up because the stuff gets down in these little cracks and things. I mean, who came up with this idea of having this floor needs to have their head examined <laughs> to be <laughs> truthfully. So I wish this had like a hardwood floor or something like that would be much easier to keep clean and, and everything else. But other than that, the only real other complaint I have about this place is a little slow. I mean, I like it being quiet and everything, but there are times when maybe I thought that I should have gotten a place actually right up in Clearwater Beach where I could have gone down outside my building. And, you know, there's little stores and restaurants and miniature golf course and Starbucks and everything else. And sometimes I think, but I think I'm staying here for another year. So what are you going to do? It's maybe it's just one of those things I, I nestled in here and to move again, you know, not that I have a ton of stuff. But maybe don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, so, but um, those are really the only two complaints uh, that I have uh, living here, which it's a, a lot fewer complaints probably than most people have about where they live. So there you go. Um, the real says off duty. I seems he knew Jesse Bear was obsessed. His interest in Jesse wasn't reciprocated. Oh, the body search is only an hour away from where I am now. So. When you're saying Jesse, that's a that's a woman. All right, I kind of read it. I read it. No. Jesse, uh, two guys then are missing. Two guys were murdered. Uh, of course, Jesse, we know, can be a woman or a man's name. Uh, Ferry says I'm early. Nice joking around, Ferry. Hey, so Owen, this cop used to be a celebrity chaser. Heaps of pics of him alongside Hollywood celebs, not A-listers. Oh my gosh. Gosh. Okay. Gay couple. All right. Thank you. The real. All right. Oh, uh, what's, what's the, uh, what's the, the cop's name that, that did this? If they've publicized it, 
once again, everybody, uh, if you're interested, go find the story. Okay, let's get to the rest of the time, the true crime section of this live show tonight. If you have any more questions, like uh, Macy asked me about my trivia, if you have any questions about, you know, let's talk movies, music, something that's on your mind regarding anything. Of course, we're staying away from politics and religion, and you got to keep it PG. Um you have any questions that come to your mind during the show tonight, you know, let me know. Uh, Hazel says, Officer Bo Lamar Condon. Wow. Okay, Hazel, thank you. Uh, Christine, hello, Christine. I think everybody would love to hear your vocal talent. Maybe some Jeff Tate or Rob Halford, you share a demo. Yeah, um, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to do it. But I actually can sing some um, Judas Priest songs. Not all of them. You should know. I mean, I, I'm a huge Judas Priest fan. And I can't wait to go see them again if they're nearby. But, I mean, I have such a ton. So many good songs. It's crazy. And their new album, by the way. It's not out yet, but I've heard a few songs. It's it, it, it's Every song so far has been fantastic. They've released... Four songs from it so far. They're all spectacular. Love it. A lot of some of their songs are not that screaming Rob Helford, you know, that we usually think like with maybe Painkiller or something like that. Um, you know, another thing coming and uh, Metal Gods. You know, those songs, I'm not saying they're easy to sing, but there are many Judas Priest songs that are what we might say a little more normal than what Rob Halford can do if he wants. And I've often wondered, does he put some of those songs in there to give his voice a break? You know, if they're in concert, does he have some of those voices, songs that don't go as high so as to give his voice a break? I'm wondering, but you know, breaking the law, living after midnight, those songs really aren't that hard to sing. Whereas when you get into Jeff Tate with Chris uh, with Queens Reich, it's pretty much always crazy. <laughs> and Christine, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there, but we'll see. Uh, I'm very early on in my um, uh, travels. All I will tell you is that it was like a week and a half ago, as I think I stated last Monday. Uh, I actually can sing some Soundgarden now, not as good as Chris Cornell, but I can hit the notes. I'm in key. It's a little bit of a struggle, but so I, I'm not exaggerating. And one of these days soon, I will be going to karaoke. And if I can get somebody to film me, I will film it. If I think I'm going to do a good job and I will post it so all of you can see. Uh, I'm not going to post it like in the Facebook group or anything, but I'll put it on my private page. All right, let's get to, um, let's just do uh, this first. The Elena Carissi poll, of course, this is uh, the polls that I do uh, Saturday morning, if I can remember. I put the, the poll in the discussion group, and I try to ask a question that is at least a little difficult. You guys have got to make you think. Uh, I guess I didn't do a very good job of it this week. Uh, the, uh, the Chrissy poll in the discussion group was did Albert Cordova, did the security guard see 
Elena go into the water? And 100% of you said no. There were no yeses. I get like this is one of those things that I mean I realized you know I kind of felt like I had to do um you know go through the math and the physics of it and and calculate all those things like I said beware math ahead in, in the uh, summation for the episode and I you know and sometimes I wonder should I do that because I know I, I've seen it. I've been around long enough to know when I start expressing a, a theory on something, it's amazing how many people then suddenly change their minds and start agreeing with me. And that's not really what I want. But I also, on the other hand, kind of my job to explain some of these things, I just didn't feel it was right to just say, well, you know, the guy saw her go into the water. Well, what exactly are the physics of that? And I didn't know what it was going to be. I mean, you know, I didn't know how long it would take maybe to swim 100 yards, and I didn't know how fast the Mississippi River flows and on and on and on and on. But the numbers added up to what the numbers added up to. I don't, I, you know, I can't fudge any of that. So maybe that's the reason that 100% of you um, who answered the, or in the discussion group or answered the poll said, nope. That was not Elena in the water, and maybe you know the story that this guy created, uh, Mr. Cordova. It didn't happen at all. And I'm guessing there's paperwork out there somewhere, but um, I'd really like to know when he came forward. I'd like to know the circumstances of him coming forward, what date, and and everything else. Because the way I look at it, I'll just go through. So the discussion group, 100%, nope. Think Tank, pretty much 100%, nope. Not one. It, it very, I think maybe one or two people were open to the idea that, well, maybe saw something, but we're not sure it was Elena. But more alongs of the discussion group answer than the opposite. And if you want to join the Think Tank every Sunday evening, you know, I talk about it every week. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. You must sign up at the $12 a month level or above. And of course, you get a lot of other things that other people don't get by signing up. And you can see the list if you go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And uh, then for me, uh, the blog that I wrote there, uh, I also decided that that was not. Elena, who went into the water, and I also, as I've stated, I'm somewhat doubtful that that story happened. Once again, just going by what he said and the way he described it, and when he was interviewed, if you've seen the video, when he's saying, you know, he's looking out, he's looking out into the water, he's not looking downstream, he's looking straight out into the water. Well, how would a woman who jumped into the river get out to the middle of it, like right offshore, right where she went in? you know, a hundred yards. It doesn't seem possible. So there's that. Um, and also what I did in thinking about that, we all have to think about that. We're, maybe some of you have been in that situation. Maybe you've been at a, a swimming pool or at the ocean or the golf or whatever, and have seen somebody who was drowning. I hope you, hope you didn't see anybody drown. But if you saw somebody drowning and people went to help that person, how does everybody react? And this guy, the, 
he just seemed a little too detached from the whole thing as well. You know, I, I know if I were to see, if I were, of course, I live right here. Kind of hard to, kind of hard to drown in the Gulf though, because it's, I mean, if you start walking out in the water here, pretty much, it's like only four feet deep. You can go like a couple hundred yards out there and it's still only like four or five feet deep. And plus the water is rarely dangerous. And we really don't get the rip tides here that you may get over in the Atlantic Ocean and everything. Anyway, but I know how I would act. Now, I realize that might not go in after the person. Maybe if it's a little kid or something, yes. But if it's a grown adult, there's a very good odds you go to save that person. You're both going to drown. But, you know, we have cell phones now. Do something, you know, figure something out regarding this. And, and especially uh, if I'm at a river, maybe there's a decent chance this person can stay afloat. But the Mississippi River would have been very cold around January of 1994. But if I'm that security guard and I see that person go into the water, you know, I'm not sticking around, you know, for, you know, I'm going to be, if I have a walkie-talkie, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, if it's 1994 technology, call somebody and say, hey, you got to call 911. I just saw somebody go into the water. Or if that don't have that, I'm going to run to the nearest payphone, dial 911. You don't need any change to do that. Dial 911 and get the whole thing going. I'm not going to stand there. And wait, you know, and watch her flapping her arms out in the boat. I mean, what? that's not helping. <laughs> Pretty sure. So his story just didn't make any sense to me. Now, on the other hand, I necessarily can't blame Elena's father for how he thinks that it is and declared a deceased and everything. Um... You know, uh, there are many families, they just want this stuff to go away. And declaring her deceased and just believing that she went into the water and it's been so many years and everything. And I and I, I will admit, I think that men are a little different about this than women are. There's a reason that Unfound doesn't have many, many men as guests, maybe what? It's not even 20%. You know, we're kind of a little bit the, the strong, silent types and our, you know, our natural disposition is to want to try to fix things and you can't fix something like this and it makes you feel very helpless. And, um... One of the ways maybe that men react to that, well, I can't do anything about it. So we just got to tie this up and we got to move on. Women a little bit different. Certainly, as you've heard on Unfound. So I, I don't know if that's, if I had a daughter and if that's what happened to her, somehow she went missing and there was this story. I don't know. Hard to put myself in his shoes. I've never had that happen to me. But I also realized that very, very few, and it's gonna, I'm going to get to that story probably next. Very, very few of the people that we featured on Unfound have been declared deceased. I don't know. Maybe once again, 10%, maybe 15%. 
And that's saying something given that the average age of a disappearance on this podcast, like 23 years old or something. So we have a bunch of disappearances from like the 80s and 70s where this people still haven't been declared deceased. So that makes me think a lot about what Elena's father, uh, you know, the choice he made there. And obviously without Elena's mother's input and everything, which, you know, if parents, even if they're divorced, if they cannot come to a, an agreement on something like that, then something like that should not be done. Very well may be that this guy just did it on his own, which then I wouldn't think too highly of that. But uh, if he's going to run across the uh, podcast at some point, I have no idea. Um, I'm hoping he listens. I, of course, hope he listens to the whole thing, but I hope he really pays attention to like that last seven minutes when I go through my understanding of what the security guard saw, what he said and everything. And I hope Elena's father takes that to heart and maybe he starts thinking, huh, well, maybe it didn't happen that way. So my job is to look for the truth, try to get the facts out there. And if if, uh, Elena's father is offended by that, then that's the way it goes. But, you know, we can, you know, any of you can go out there and test it anytime if you have a river near you. Maybe not the Mississippi, but it's still a reasonably decent sized river. Go out there at night and see how far you can see something. And maybe throw something into the water that's of a decent size that floats. Something, of course, don't throw trash into the water. Something of decent size, throw it into the water, it's going to float and see what happens. See if it goes along with what the security guard said. I don't think it's going to. So um, let's see what everybody is uh, uh, saying here. Um, uh, Hazel says one day, Christine, one day, uh, I may sing for all of you one day during the live show. Uh, we'll just have to see how, uh, Hazel says my head hurts just about talking about metal music. Oh, behave Hazel. Christine, love Judas Priest. Just do it one live, please. Just do it. Uh, maybe one of these days. I'm here. I'm familiar with missing five-year-old Summer Wells from Hawkins County, Tennessee. She's been missing for three years now. Um, I am very familiar with it. Uh, I, I, um, yeah, I really don't have it on my list of disappearances to cover anytime soon. Uh, as uh, maybe you don't know, or, uh, if you're new here that we do cover the disappearances of children on unfound, but only if I can really, 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 really trust who I'm talking to. And uh, with that disappearance of Summer, I don't know if there's anybody close to Summer. Certainly can't trust her parents or anybody like that. So it makes it a little difficult uh, to feature, but I am familiar with it for sure. In fact, I might have even talked about it when it happened uh, a couple years ago. Rockford, hello, Rockford. How are you doing tonight? Good to see you. Wonder what the percentage would be if the question were rephrased to did Cordova see any person go into the water under similar circumstances on any date? Could I, I could post that. I could do that. I'll think about it, Rockford. Thank you. 
Uh, Hazel agrees with Rockford. Uh, exactly. First thing you do is call 911 for sure. Marty's here. 9.35. Show starts at 9. Marty's here at 9.35. Good to see you, Marty. Um, let's see. Everyone's a great night. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. We're all having a great night, Marty. Yes. All right. So that is the Elena Chrissy probably, I don't know. Uh, next to Flight 370, probably the most well-known international disappearance that Unfound is featured, probably. Um, of course, at least here in the United States, I'm guessing Maura Murray, Brian Schaefer, better well-known here. I don't know how well those disappearances are known outside of the United States. But given um, who Elena's parents are and their influence and their fame around the world, and the attention that her disappearance got back in 1994. Gotta say that as far as internationally, has to be probably, like I said, second to Flight 370. And maybe, I don't know, the disappearance of Ben Padilla with the Boeing 727. I think that was pretty well internationally known. I mean, a jet goes missing as well. But, in, it, you know, I, I think maybe I'm putting Elena's uh, in front of that. All right, let's move on to this. And this has to do with Christopher Douthit. This is a disappearance uh, that we featured not that long ago, right? And the what, the, the um, second half of 2023, probably. So there is a story. He has been officially declared deceased. And I'll say it again. This is very rare regarding the disappearances that Unfound is featured. A Franklin County man missing since 2013 has been declared dead by a Franklin County Circuit Court. Christopher Douthat was last reported seen alive in October 2013 when he cast a check after working in Vinton and then headed on foot toward the food line on Bennington in Roanoke to meet a friend. He has been missing ever since. Having not officially seen or heard from him in more than 10 years, along with other criteria, the court says standards have been met for presumption of death. Somebody knows something. People don't just disappear. They don't just vanish into thin air, said Michael Douthat, Christopher's brother. Uh, I should know that I did not speak to his brother. Um, it was Christopher's mother, Mary, who was the guest. In fact, I sent her an email today. Virginia and she's not gotten back to me yet. Virginia State Police have led the investigation in recent years, saying in 2023 they didn't believe he was still alive and have investigated the case as a homicide. Senior Special Agent Douglas Hubert is the lead investigator. Somebody out there probably does hold these puzzle pieces that I need to put this case together, said Hubert. He was uh, earlier than when his time was to meet. He got off work early that day. He was in contact with very minimal amount of people on that Friday. We do have Chris's phone records from that day, and we know he had contact with. Chris's cell phone mapping indicates that he was there in the southeast area and that he was very close to the proximity of the food line sometime around 5 p.m., and that was the last contact he made with Chris. That was made with Chris. Heard said in 2023, and I think that jives with, uh, what was covered in the episode. Hubert said in 2023, he believes there are people who know what happened to Christopher. I have to admit, I'm not so sure. I have one particular person of interest and I've, you know, there are five, there are five parties that are familiar with Chris's location and what happened with Chris. I didn't meet Chris, 
but I've met Chris through this investigation. No doubt about it. It causes me, it causes me anxiety. It causes me a lot of time off work and everything thinking about it. I can't actually wrap my head around how this can happen to someone and that you are 20 years, 10 years later, and I cannot get the momentum I need on something. I just don't understand it, Hubert. Well, no offense to you, Investigator Hubert, but if you knew more about disappearances, you wouldn't be saying some of those things. No offense. We were working to get updates from the family and Virginia State Police. Anyone with information about Christopher Douthat's disappearance can call 540. Let's say it again. 540-375-9589. It's, of course, a place in Roanoke. You can remain anonymous. Uh, first thing that comes to me, uh, my mind is I'm very surprised by this. Very surprised. Um, in my opinion, easy for me to talk. My opinion, although I certainly have a particular theory about what happened to Christopher Douthat, and it has nothing to do with free foul play. Of course, this investigator, you know how I feel about when they say things like that. Um, I don't believe there was foul play. Uh, it's certainly telling that it seems he was close to the food line around 5 o'clock when he was supposed to be there. And then somehow he goes missing and his phone you know, goes dead or whatever at the same time. That should tell everybody a lot. Granted, uh, you know, do I think he's deceased? Yes, but that doesn't mean that I think he should be declared deceased. Because what do we know about these declaring people deceased? You know what the police do? Even though Hubert says he's going to continue to work on it, they're going to wipe their hands on the whole thing. He's dead. Nothing we can do. It's not going to bring him back. Goodbye. This is why um, I'm not a big fan of this. I, I'm at, You should know. I'm actually happy that a very small percentage of unfound disappearances, uh, you know, any of them have been declared deceased. These missing people that we've featured. Only the ones that have been proven to be dead are the ones that should be declared deceased. I know they're extenuating circumstances like... Um, you know, like any missing person who has possessions, they have children, they have a house or something like that. And that kind of stuff needs to be resolved. And the only way it can be done is declaring the person deceased. And it's 10, 15 years later. I get that. Um, uh, one that, uh, obviously comes to mind is, and I eventually did get to speak, um, to her son uh, eventually. And that was, let me find it here. That was a disappearance. I think that we covered in 2019 Dorian Myers, where she is certainly dead. She was certainly murdered. And so I understand. And then she has a son who was underage at the time. I can understand why they did that. But in most of these other ones, you know, in any of these other ones that aren't like that, big question mark. Even with like Elena Carissi's, big question mark about why you would do that. Whereas the ones like we know, Zoe Campos, Esther Westenbarger, and the rest of those, of course, they're deceased. They have been found. Tom Brown, no matter what you think, 
happened to him. He's dead. Very sad. So this is a real surprise. And uh, once again, just to go over the particulars, he got a check. He was at a bar. He was supposed to meet uh, some woman at a food line a couple miles away. He was going to walk over there, and he didn't make it. But you should know, as I think I did a map analysis video for that, for anybody who bothers to watch them, that he did have to pass over a river getting there that was right near the food line. And to be honest, in my opinion, Christopher would fall into that category of somebody who might have considered uh, taking his own life. Just my experience from doing this for a while. Why he chose to do that, maybe could have been a few different reasons. He had some drug issues. He was drinking that day, you know, things going on in his life. It's just uh, what he was going to meet, you know, and I and I have to say, I happen to believe this woman that says, you know, he didn't get there. I believe her. So, you know, how did if he got picked up by somebody, how, how did somebody else track him down? Why would he say that he was going to meet her when really he was going to get in the car with somebody else? How would it, you know, it's just it gets very complicated very quickly. So, um, but I'm just going by what I know about the disappearance. You know, this Hubert, you know, he's saying that, well, I'm looking at like five different guys and everything. This, you know, you know uh, uh, there are five parties. Here's what I think I know. It didn't take five people to cause, if there was foul play, it didn't take five people to cause Christopher's disappearance. That's what I think I know. So it just sounds to me like Hubert is just throwing things at a wall. And, you know, and of course, the sad part, as I believe Christopher did go into that river for whatever reason, then it, then it becomes like a lot of these other disappearances where we might entertain the idea that a person went into the river. And I'm not talking about Elena Chrissy. I'm talking more like Ben Archer, Jake Lachalet. Shane fell, you know, if those people went into those rivers, Delaware River, Mississippi River, just don't know what to, you know, just the, the odds of finding a bone or something downstream or something. I'm not saying it's Powerball odds, mega million jackpot odds, but the odds aren't good. So Christopher Douthit has been declared deceased. Even though his remains have not been found, nobody has been charged with anything, but that happened just within the last few days. And of course, when the new update episode occurs at the end of April, uh, it will be included. Uh, going to another unfound disappearance now, uh, Peggy McGuire, which is one from, I know Kathy's going to look it up. I'm going to guess that was from 2019, maybe. Um, and her mother was the guest. And this is the one where uh, it's exactly the opposite. Surely Peggy was murdered. This is certainly uh, the man said type of situation. Well, they were doing a search for her this past week since the last time we all got together for the live show. And I'm going to read this article to you. Peggy McGuire was declared missing in November 2015, was last seen in McIntosh County. Eight years later, no progress has been made with the search for her until now on Wednesday. 
The Muskogee County Sheriff's Office followed up on a tip. The McGuire's body is wrapped in chicken wire held down under the surface of a pond south of Washington Avenue in the town of Octaha. O-K-T-A-H-A. I'm such a southerner. I'm such a, I should say, uh, I'm such a, an outsider to try to pronounce that uh, name. So there's some people that knew Peggy back in 2015. They were hearing stuff. They were talking amongst themselves one place or the other. One gentleman has moved away, and he's the person that's been calling us and saying you might want to go to Octaha and check the pond. I believe she's going to be in there, said Bert Poole, an investigator with the Muskogee County District Attorney's Office. Sheriff's Office and the Light Horse Police Department began their search just before noon on Wednesday. That's just this past Wednesday, five days ago. After about three hours of searching, unfortunately, there weren't any clues. Poole said they will continue to search for McGuire to give her family answers. We can contact uh, our resources or contact the people that's been calling us and maybe get another area of the pond. But we're not just going to give up. We may want to try to locate a family, a victim for a family who really needs to have that closure, Poole said. Uh, McGuire's mother shared the following video seeking help from the community as she continues searching for her daughter. If you have any information regarding the, the disappearance, please contact the Muskogee County uh, Sheriff's Office. Now, um, probably I, the biggest news that happened since, and Kathy is saying that episode came out in November of 2019. Thank you. For checking that Kathy, like I said, 2019. It's amazing I can remember this stuff. Um, you'll remember a few years ago, maybe 2021, Peggy's son actually ran away. He went missing. And he was eventually found. Uh, I don't know any more than any of you do, probably, regarding what has gone on since. But he did go missing for a while. Not sure why he chose to do that. Teenager. And he and he was eventually found. So, I, And I know that I talked about that on a live show when that happened. Uh, to go over uh, the facts, uh, just the general facts of Peggy's disappearance. Uh, she was uh, in her house. Her son had gone to school. I think she had taken him to school. She came back home and then went missing. Her car was there, but her ex-husband was there. And people, witnesses said that around the time of Peggy's disappearance, he was seen with a front loader, which is one of those pieces of equipment that has like a, a bucket on the front. And he was going down the road and it was like hoisted way up in the air. And, of course, he did not have a very convincing story. He said he didn't see Peggy or she took off or whatever else. And it is believed that uh, he had something to do with his her disappearance, and that makes all the sense in the world. This was a disappearance also where a theme was, well, his family's allegedly fairly well-connected politically in that area, and could that have had something to do with um, maybe police not questioning him hard enough, not doing enough searches, and uh, things like that. I will tell you, uh, I can certainly believe that Peggy is deceased. I could believe that her ex-husband did it. I'm not inclined to believe, though, that she's in any body of water uh, in the area. 
Um, I would have to believe that whoever did this buried her somewhere on a piece of property that can be controlled. You start getting into water and ponds and things. A lot of variables. That's a lot different than if you're going to take a body out into the middle of a gulf or an ocean or something, or even throw a body into a river. You start talking about a pond or something, you never know it can happen. That sounds like not a great idea. Not a smart idea if you want to get away with it. So I can certainly believe she's deceased. I can certainly believe she's murdered. I can certainly believe somebody put her somewhere. I would not pick a body of water, though. But that's uh, so that is now an update on two of Unfound's uh, disappearances just within the past week. So moving on to uh, a few other things. As some of you have already said, yes, uh, team episode number two came out today uh, with my interview with my assistant, Emily. Is she not just like uh, the most likable person in the world? You know, just her attitude and uh, her passion and um, her positivity and everything else. Really enjoyed uh, interviewing her, of course, that was like over a month ago. Now, took a while to put it all together, but uh, that came out today. That came out on your podcast feed, in which you receive the Friday episode, and that was also now playing here on the uh, YouTube channel. So please check it out. She is the assistant who's been with me the longest, and many of the guests that you hear have heard on Unfound. Uh, have appeared because uh, Emily reached out to them first. And being that we rarely, rarely ever miss any Fridays or anything uh, is an indication of how well she how well she does uh, doing that. So I uh, get to know a little bit about her and what she's planning to do here in uh, 2024. And... Uh, you know, it's been great having her as an assistant. Maybe she and I, along with, of course, last week with Carrie, I've not, I've never met either of them in person yet. Uh, maybe we can make that happen one of these days. So please check uh, that out. I love, um, I really love giving all of you a little behind the scenes look at what goes on here at the podcast. I really don't know how many other podcasts, hosts of any type do that. But, you know, get kind of behind the scenes of what things go on that people don't see, people don't hear, and get to know these people that I mention once in a while. You get to know them a little bit, and I just sit back and ask some questions, and they get to do all the talking, and uh, that's perfectly fine with me. So, uh, Kathy is... um, yeah, you've not missed the Suzanne Morphew coverage yet. I'm going to get to it, I promise, so Krabby B, uh, before I'm done tonight. Uh, it's on the list. I will get to it, I promise. Uh, Kathy's telling everybody that Chris Douthat's episode came out on September 22nd of 2023. It's only like five months ago. Hello, Julie. What's going on? Good to see you. And Peggy's was November 2nd of 2019. Thank you, Kathy, for looking... Uh, 2018. So that was 2018. Wow, I was off then. 2018. So over five years ago, Kathy. So that was before my mother died. 
not after. All right, Kathy, thank you for checking that. Uh, hello, uh, Julie, everybody's, uh, hey, what's going, everybody? Another bloody the man said, yep, they are common. Uh, I so dig his Ed's true stuff. I What does that, uh, 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 the story of that one guy will always freak me out. I so dig his Ed's true stuff. Um, what Ed's true stuff. I, I dig my true stuff too. Uh, Julie, maybe there's a word missing in there and stuff. That's a, I, I dig my true stuff too. Maybe there's a word missing there. There's a lot of those Hazel. Yeah. Giving us men a bad name. They certainly are. These guys are not helping us, Marty. The story of that one guy will always freak me out. Love the new interview episode. Thank you, Marty. Um, yes. Yeah, so sorry. No problem. Uh, Julie, maybe, like I said, it just, uh, maybe you're missing a word. If you want to type that again or edit that, please do so. But maybe that's what you meant to say. And that's fantastic too, Julie. Um, I want to tell everybody, if you're not uh, aware of it, we are on the verge of getting to 17,000 subscribers on YouTube. So if you are not yet one, maybe would be a good time to sign up and, uh, you know, get us over that number, get us to 17,000, the 20,000 number. We got a ways to go, but, um, 20,000 number uh, is a big number would be a big number because it allows you, once you get to 20,000 subscribers, they let you do more things with your channel. I don't know why. And I realize, you know, John Lorden has 150,000 subscribers and everything else, but I just try to remind myself that unfound it's may, uh, YouTube is really just a secondary outlet. Un, unfound is really an audio program, not a video one. And uh, so that, you know, there aren't too many podcasts that have YouTube channels. So, but it would be nice to get to that 20,000 number, but it's probably going to take something special uh, for it to happen um, very quickly, but we're just slowly inching up, inching up, inching up. So you're not a subscriber yet. And if, for example, if you're listening to this as a podcast on February 27th, 28th, 29th, go over to YouTube, hit the subscribe button. You won't regret it. Moving on, let's get to that Suzanne Morphew uh, information. Um, If uh, being that uh, it got brought up. A lot of shenanigans. Uh, I've not been following this as closely as, for example, my assistant, Shri. Shri is uh, the person who kind of keeps me uh, updated on such things. But there's a lot of shenanigans going on between lawyers and judges. And um, I'm not saying that, you know, that, of course, there's nobody to charge. They charge Barry at one point, and then they drop the charges. But since then... At least the way I read this, and I'm going to read some of this, maybe not all of this. It's quite long. It's gotten a little ugly. The Colorado Supreme Court's Office of Attorney Regulation Council, that sounds serious, has filed formal complaints against two more of the prosecutors in the former Barry Morphew case. Morphew previously was charged in the death of his wife, Suzanne, 
after she disappeared from their home in May 2020. That's how long it's going to be, four years coming up. His case was dismissed by the 11th Judicial District Attorney's Office without prejudice, which means they can bring the charges again. In April 2022, just to say, is before it was set to go to trial. That's amazing. Dismissed right before they were going to go to trial. Very interesting. Complaints previously were lodged against 11th Judicial District Attorney Linda Stanley for allegations of violating the Colorado Rules of Professional professional Conduct, also involving the Morphew case. Her trial is set so, so bad, she now has a trial for herself that is due to happen in June. Oh, my goodness. The two new cases are against attorneys Bob Weiner, or Weiner, W-E-I-N-E-R. I'm just going to say Weiner just to keep it unsilly-like. And Mark Hurlbert. Hurlbert. Stanley aside, W District Attorney Herbert, 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 I'm going to have problems with that, to the Morphew case in July 2021 before he later took over as lead counsel. In November 2021, Stanley retained Weiner as a special deputy district attorney in the case. According to the complaints, the prosecutors allegedly withheld evidence and retaliated against former Freepont Fremont County District Court Judge Ramsey Lama, L-A-M-A. Prosecutors going against a judge. That doesn't sound good. Lama was the sitting judge in the Morphew case after Chafee County District Judge Patrick Murphy recused himself. According to the complaints on July 21st, 2021, the prosecution team disclosed the May 19, 2021 combined DNA index system casework match letter. Wow regarding DNA swab from Suzanne Morphew's Range Rover. The DNA partially, ma- partially matched an unknown suspect who was being investigated for sexual assault, which the prosecution had in its possession for two months before disclosure, one of the complaint states. On July 22, 2021, after another hearing on discovery issues, Murphy determined the team violated discovery rules by failing to timely provide cell phone data and other electronic delivery dis- or discovery to the defense. Iris Eaton, or Eaton, the defense attorney for Morphew, why can't these people just have Smith and Johnson as their last names, said in a statement that the OARC believes they have clear and convincing evidence of their abuse of power in her client's case. It is extremely rare for the OARC to file formal disciplinary complaints against prosecutors. The misconduct is cited as the prosecutor's failure failure to turn over evidence of innocence in the case, their misstating of facts in pleadings and violation of court orders. However, the defense team is also accused of participating in an investigation of Lama after a series of adverse rulings in March 2022. So each side of this is doing all sorts of stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Eaton states the prosecutors attempted to intimidate and threatened the trial judge who ruled against them, resulting from resulting from their pattern of conduct. The text messages attached to Herbert's and Weiner's complaints indicate that the judge hated them, in quotes. And as a result, the prosecutors wanted to, in quotes, to get him. One of the texts also states, in quotes, judges messing with us again. The complaints allege that these three prosecutors questions Lama's right to have custody of his child. Wow. And proceeded to privately investigate him. So I guess these prosecutors didn't like that this guy was going to be overseeing the trial. So they went to get dirt on the judge. 
That's the way it reads. This is a result of a true uh, – I'm going to have to ask all of you. If anybody – I'm going to put the question right now. If anybody knows who this podcaster is, just write it in the comments, please. This was a result of a crime podcaster's petition falsely claiming – you know, I got to hate these podcasters that go off and do this stuff that make the rest of us look bad. Remember, when you're going out there as a true crime podcaster – You are representing all of us. Stop doing stupid stuff. Please. This was a result of a crime podcaster's petition falsely claiming the judge must have abused his ex-wife and there was for was biased and liked domestic violence offenders, Iten, the defense attorney, said. Note that the Morphew case was dismissed days after their conspiratorial theory to recuse the judge failed. Not because they actually believed or found Miss Morphew's body under six feet of snow, frozen snow near the Morphew residence, the defense attorney uh, continued. Attached to the recently filed complaints is an investigation report authored by Andrew Corey, a criminal investigator in the DA's office. He said on April 9th, 2022, Stanley asked him to speak with Lama's former wife, to make sure Lama had not spoken to her about anything that would make him impartial to the Morphew case. And if any domestic violence had occurred in their relationship, I mean, who was this podcaster? Does anybody, uh, any of you know who this podcaster was that alleged, uh, who said all these false things? Please, I don't care. Put it in the comments. Corey recorded that Lama's former wife said that Lama obtained a high level of professionalism He'd never said anything about the case and no type of domestic abuse happened in the relationship. Corey found that nothing was found of any wrongdoing. So this podcaster just making crap up as so many do. Eaton states that it is well known the prosecutors in the Morphew case abused their authority and power to charge Morphew wrongly. But it is new news that these prosecutors also threatened the rule of law and our democracy by attempting to intimidate and threaten the presiding judge due to his rulings and sanctions for their pattern of misconduct. In an email response to the Daily Record on Thursday, Herbert said the attorneys deny the allegations of filing response. Weiner and Stanley did not return a request for comment. Well, this is all nice and neat, isn't it? And remember, Suzanne Morphew's body has been found. I mean, it's, I know that was in there. It's probably the part that gets missed in that entire story is that her remains were eventually found. They were buried, so somebody put her there. It wasn't like she stumbled off or anything. Somebody put her there. Somebody murdered her. No doubt about that. But this all sounds like one huge mess with everybody doing at least something wrong. So what is um, what is everybody uh saying here you don't have to uh sorry not to apologize julie just seemed like your statement about uh ed's true stuff uh seemed like there was word missing there um yeah i'm gonna skip that i i like the video fairly said sheree says yes please share this podcast where you can just liking the video helps with exposure don't forget to follow us on tiktok i should say that a tiktok TikTok uh, from a couple years ago was Cherie's idea, and that has been uh, – we've done fairly well over there, surprisingly. So thank you for that great idea, Cherie, and that's – I do a preview. I use TikTok as a preview 
there. Uh, I know, you know, a lot of people think TikTok and it's been in the news and all that stuff. I'm not here to get into that. But we are on there on TikTok, and every Wednesday or Thursday, I post a preview video of that Friday's uh, episode. They usually go for about a minute and a half. So if you're on TikTok and you like getting a little preview of the case before it actually plays on Friday, go find uh, Unfound on TikTok. Uh, Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, Julia, uh, I still keep in touch with her. Okay. Crime Pass podcast called... True Crime with Jules, the podcast host, Jules Wolf. Um, maybe we should expect that from somebody who spells Jules with a Z. Um, not one of the very high profile. I guess high pro, I, 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 I've never heard of it, Hazel, but obviously it was high profile enough to get a bunch of people in trouble. So it... Um, it, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I mean, did really these attorneys hear that podcast and think they need? To, I, I don't, I don't know how that works. Okay, Julie, uh, yeah, we got that straightened out. So true stuff. Okay, thank you, Julie. I haven't listened to that one, Hazel. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, never heard of that podcast. I just googled it, Marty. Never heard of her. TikTok is. Getting a lot of traction. Shorts are popular on YouTube. Very true, Fairy. Yeah, shorts. Uh, yeah, that's true. My aim is true. All right, Julie. Thank you. Like I said, I just read it. It seemed like maybe there was a word missing there. My fault. I apologize. Thank you for saying the nice things. So we got all this going on. And of course, there's nobody who's been charged anyway. Um, and, you know, they're back. It, it sounds to me like you could say, well, they're back to square one. It sounds like they're back even farther or further than square one. Uh, when you start talking about prosecutors being allegedly uh, abuse of power and going after a judge and another judge getting you know recused and all these things. Even if they did have somebody in custody, I don't know how you'd get any of this into court anytime soon. So I don't know um, what I will say, and uh, it, it very well may be, and I know many of you do believe that Barry killed Suzanne. And, and I, of course, that make, logically, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, And some of you may even say there's proof that he did it. That makes a lot of sense, but I'm here, here is what I'm going to tell you. All of these people in this story are making Barry Morphew look better and better and better. And um, of course, he does. He still have that. Does he still have that wrongful prosecution or whatever that suit he's he's suing for defamation? Is is that still all hanging out there? Well, here's what I know: if it is, all of this is certainly going to help his case. Certainly. If this is all true, all of this that's going on, I mean, he may win this case and he may never, if he did kill his wife, I'm not saying he did or not, but he very well may be that he did. He's going to get away with it and he's going to successfully sue all these people and he's going to get millions of dollars on top of it. I guess that's one scenario that's still possible. 
Oh my goodness. So that's what's going on. Somebody uh, asked me, did I cover it yet? Well, there I I have done it. And the whole thing just sounds like a huge mess. Um, A huge mess. It reminds us that these people who are prosecuting and defending and judging all these things, they're all human. They are all human. They are not robots. Oh, my. All right. Let's move on to Jonathan Roop. Now, you should know that I was going to make this the Unfound Now episode, but he has been found in Missouri. uh, So he's not actually missing anymore, but I'm going to get into that. So instead... Uh, a, a different unfound now came out today, once again, on this YouTube channel. And that is uh, the recent disappearance of Thomas Irwin, 73-year-old who went missing after stopping at Mesa Verde National Park in Colorado. I hope you will check that out on the channel. And uh, I've actually been, I talk about it in, the, in that episode, that I've actually been to Mesa Verde way back in 19, the summer of 1985, right before, uh, right around when I, I, I had just turned, I think, 15. So early August 1985, my parents and I, we took our family vacation out there and rode around the, like, southern or southwestern Colorado, went down to Durango, Silverton. We went to the Air Force Academy, Mesa Verde, all over that area, beautiful um, and so that's what I thought of. So that's something else uh, that can uh, take up some of your time before Friday, before the next episode comes out. Uh, unfound now, Thomas Irwin, who went into the park and never came out. And yes, I do in this episode get to talk about these people who believe that a bunch of people are, you know, there's a bunch of serial killers hanging out in the national parks of the United States. I get to talk about that. So you, of course, I can't pass that up. So now I want to talk about Jonathan Roop, Roanoke, Virginia, which coincidentally is where Christopher Douthat went missing. A missing Virginia Tech student was found safe on Saturday, according to the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office. Jonathan Roop was located by law enforcement in Missouri, where officers say they made direct contact with him. You remember This is a kid a little over a week ago, seemingly a great student, great guy, popular, everything going very, very well for him, I think 20 years old, and going to Virginia Tech, which is in Blacksburg, Virginia, and he was supposed to be driving home. He was going to take an online test at his parents' house. That's his story anyway, and he never reached there. He never made it. And uh, he went missing. He and his car. And they had pictures of it leaving campus and everything else. Well, somehow, maybe he's using a credit card or something. They have now been able to track him down in Missouri. And you don't, uh, for all of you, like you people from Australia and Ireland or whatever, I'll just tell all of you. Virginia and Missouri in the United States are nowhere near each other. That's like a, I don't know, 15-hour drive or something like that. 16-hour drive, something. 
it's in a completely different time zone than Virginia. So, uh, but that's where he was found. And the deputies now say that this case is now closed. The confirmation of it being safe came after the student, re- uh, the student reported missing last week had been seen at a restaurant in Missouri. Investigators report tra- tracking Jonathan Root, 20 years old, to the restaurant in Poplar Bluff the afternoon of February 21st. So that's already five days ago. They say Roop was alone and left the restaurant when he was being identified by an employee. Roop then drove away unaccompanied in his car, which means it's not like he's with somebody. Nobody is forcing him to do any of this. No proof that he was forced to leave Virginia or anything like that. A statement from the sheriff's office after that sighting said, while there are many unanswered questions, based on his personal sighting, we believe Mr. Rupert acting alone and traveling on his own free will. We appreciate the, we appreciate the cooperation of law enforcement, organizations, businesses, and the public during this investigation. The last confirmed sighting of Rupert before the one in Missouri was February 16th, in Christiansburg, which of course is in Virginia. So what to think regarding this? Obviously, this is not a situation where he's having some sort of, what do they call it? Disassociative fugue. It's not a situation where he has amnesia. It's not a situation where he's paranoid or anything else. He's driving around, he's in his car, he's eating, he's using money or a credit card or something. He knows who he is, and he just decided to take off. Why Missouri? I don't know. I don't know. I I really uh, tried to find any information on that. Did he have some connection to Missouri? Did he have a girlfriend that lived in Missouri? Did he have a family member that lives in Missouri? Or anything. There's nothing that I can find that says that. Very well may be true. I tried to look for it. I couldn't find it. So, but this is one of those things. And I want all of you to remember this. I'm going to keep saying this. This whole thing, you know, I think maybe we learned this in very blatant terms. With Mary Jean Van Gilder's disappearance. Of course, we found out two weeks ago. When we start saying he would never, she would never. Really, those are just cliches. That is not a statement of fact. What we are really saying is, well, we probably wouldn't do that. The fact is, we don't know these people. So we can't say what they would or would not do. This is why I really, 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 really try to um, stay away from that type of stuff. Certainly makes sense if we think that a missing person's case, that's foul play. Certainly we can try to get into the mind of the person who did it. We'll just take for an example, a one that we know was a murder. And so I don't have to theorize too much. Carlos Rodriguez murdering Zoe Campos. We can try to get into the mind of a killer like that. Why? Because there's at least probably one thing that we can say with almost 100% certainty. Killers usually like to get away with their crimes. 
So we can start extrapolating from that. Well, how would you get away with it? Well, I would put the body here. I would put the body there. I would put it in the backyard. I'd throw it in a dumpster. I'd put it in a lake. We can start doing all these things because once again, we can anchor it in this person most likely wants to get away with it. Whereas when we start talking about the missing people and we start talking about Elena Currisi or who knows what happened to her or like of Mary Jane Van Gilder, how many times I'm guessing over the years, of course, you know, I really didn't know about Mary Jane Van Gilder's disappearance until, you know, right before the episode came out. Found out about it. Adam Turner was kind enough to come on. It was a great interview. Thank you, Adam. But how many years, how many times do you think since 1945 did people say Mary Jane Van Gilder would surely never have left her children? Thousands. Thousands. Guess what? She left her children. She left them. She knew where they were. She decided she wanted to do something else with her life. So when we all say, well, she wouldn't, you know, just generally Jane Doe wouldn't do this. John Smith wouldn't do this. Maybe we really don't know what we're talking about. So when it comes to this guy, Jonathan Roop, 20 years old, this is another example of why we should really check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. When we start saying she would never, he would never, when it comes to the actual missing people. I'm guessing that a week before he went and did this, probably everybody in Jonathan Roop's life said he would never do this. Well, guess what? He did it. He did it. My, I will tell you uh, that my best guess, now you should also know something. I don't know what's going on here, but um, for some reason, the Jonathan Roop thread does not exist on WebSleuths anymore. I, I, of course, as I was putting the show together, I went, I went on there because, you know, Sometimes maybe you get a local feel like in Blacksburg or somebody might get on there that maybe is convincingly somebody who knows something that's going on. Or maybe you can say something like, well, I heard that, you know, he had a friend in Missouri or something like that. And that thread existed just a few days ago. It's not on there anymore. Uh, For some reason, it's gotten taken away. I don't know why. So if you go on there and do a search for R-O-O-P, you're going to find some other uh, a missing woman. You're not going to find anything on Jonathan Roop. Why? Don't know. Being that I, I had the owner of Web Sluice on here, what was it, a year ago or something? Maybe I should email and ask her. I can find out for all of you. So that's also very interesting to me. So what do I think was going on here? What do I think is going on here? My best guess... My experience, seven and a half years, my best guess, because once again, we can't say this is amnesia or or anything else. It was not suicidal. The the police tracked him down. He's still living like seven or eight days after he went missing. That doesn't sound like a suicide trip to me. Best guess I can say is that 
Jonathan Roop maybe not might not be the guy that, that was he was presented as when he went missing. I'm not saying he's a dastardly uh you know rapist or anything else. But or how he presented himself to everyone was not how he really felt about himself or his life or anything else that people knew about him. Um, Because it's something. I mean, once again, the way he was presented when he went missing, he's doing great in school. He's great with his family and everything else. Did Is this one of those things where all it takes is time and pressure? You know, for people uh, to crack or something. It just doesn't sound to me like he cracked. It just doesn't sound like that. Now, I will tell you, if I were to find out that he's living in his car in Missouri uh, or something, then we might have to start thinking about some mental health issues or something. Maybe that is what's going on. But he's providing for himself somehow. We have to remember he's 20 years old. Is he running up a credit card somehow? Uh, and there's nothing that I've read to say that he's gotten back in contact with his family to tell him, you know what? I'm okay. And we have to remember, this is kind of like a national story. He surely knew that people were looking for him. And guess what? He never contacted his family to say that I'm all right. Like I said, my best, maybe he, like I said, my best guess is that there was more going on with Jonathan Roop than what has been presented in, you know, the way he was presented when he went missing. It's my experience. Um, because the way he was presented, yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't sound like he would, that kind of person would ever do that, but he did. And so that tells me that, there's something about him that they kind of left out of the news. Or like I said, maybe it was something about himself that actually nobody else knew about it. So, um, you know, what is he living on? Is he getting a job? Is he, you know, is he going to go to school there? What, what, what exactly is going to do? Police have tracked him down. He's by himself. Of course, uh, what that means, I'm not sure. I mean, there are stories out there of people, uh, you know, police tracking people down and, you know, saying, hey, are you all right? Yes. And then the person goes off and commits suicide or something. Those, those situations do happen. So maybe this police officer got it totally wrong, saying that, you know, he's, he's fine and he's not being forced. He's not being coerced or, or anything. No. But what this does remind me of is Tom Brown's death. You know, what do we keep hearing from a certain segment of people who have gotten to know Tom Brown's disappearance and death very well? He would never do that. The fact is, you know, that's, I, I think that's just all of our human egos and vanity and every arrogance talking. You know, to for us to determine what other people will and will not do. And Tom Brown seems very much like this guy, although Tom Brown was still in high school. 
And they'd say, well, he would never have done this. He would have never committed suicide. He would have never taken drugs or anything. So, because thinking like that only restricts your thinking. That's all it does. It closes your mind off to the possibilities. And we, unfortunately, we know, and it's just not Jonathan Roop. It's just not Tom Brown. But we know of famous people who seemingly were having it very good, and then they go jumping out of buildings. I'm, I'm thinking of a, a young woman maybe two years ago. She had been on some of these like entertainment shows and seen, was modeling and everything else. She's in New York City. She jumped out of a window. I'm sure nobody in her life could have predicted. Now, it did seem that at one time she'd been struggling with some mental health issues and everything else, but everybody thought that she had gotten over that. I guess not. Very, It's very sad. Now, luckily, Jonathan is still alive. And whatever's going on here, you know, we uh, maybe he had very good reasons for doing what he did. We just don't know. I don't know any I don't know any more than any of you do regarding this thing. Whatever you're reading out there is what I read. I don't have any inside information on this at all. I just have my experience. Of course, you have your experience of listening to Unfound and listening to all these guests talk about their missing loved ones. So uh, you know, I don't you know, looking back at it, I don't know if I could have predicted that Jonathan Roop would be a, be found alive. I don't know if I could have predicted that he would be found in Missouri. And I don't know if I could have predicted that he would still be with his car. I don't think I could have predicted maybe that he would still be in his right mind or, or something like that. Um, you know, I guess we, uh, you know, we have a long way to go to fully understanding this stuff. But this is the, the 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 kind of the corner you paint yourself into when you start saying he would never, she would never. So what's everybody saying here? I mean, this is made, uh, like I said, national news. Um, yeah, some of those TikTok channels are rabbit holes, are they, Charlotte? Reminds me a little bit of Hemphill County, Texas. Ah, oh, there you go, Cherie. I'll be darned. There you go, Julie. Hayes, always be glad to hear when someone gone missing is found. Yeah, I, at least we have to be happy that he's alive. And as long as he's alive, uh, things can get straightened out. Either he straightens his life out all on his own and maybe he doesn't want to have contact with his family anymore. I don't know what you can do. Or maybe he reconsiders what he's doing. And he comes back to Virginia and gets everything straightened out. As long as he's alive... Everything can be patched up. Yes. It is scary, Julie. I agree with you. Ozark area, is that where that is? Thank you, Julie. Hazy, totally agree. Ed, he who said we'll never do that is something never give credence to. Wow, I remember you talking uh, about her. Uh, yeah, going poof. Uh, yes, it went poof. That's exactly right. The poof. Jonathan Roop's uh, thread on Web Sleuths went poof. It was there one day, gone the next. Why? I don't know. I'll admit it, Rockford says, that very thinking she wouldn't do it was a factor in my not thinking she walked off. Also, I didn't love the husband's uh, profile. Uh, um, who, are you th- who are you talking about, Rockford? 
Mary, uh, that's a very interesting and kind of unusual case. It certainly is uh, regarding Jonathan Rube. Usually what happens, I mean, if we have something like this, is that, you know, unfortunately the young person is found deceased or the car is found and the young person isn't found at all or isn't found for many years. Rarely does it end up that you find the young person alive and in still in the car seems to be unusual. Statistically, a much lower chance of that happening, my, my opinion. Uh, I mean, I don't think this kind of thing happens often. Maybe it does more than I think. I don't think it happens very often, Mary. Um, actually, Rockford, she would never leave her children as a credible exception due to knowing, feeling that bond. When there's a, a not-so-nice guy involved, then it's too easy to think foul play. Julie, didn't that cop kill him? You mean Tom Brown? I'm not thinking that now. I might have thought that at one time in 2019, Julie, but that is uh, – or 2018. But as regarding Tom Brown, that is not where I am now. Thanks, Hazel. It's all a learning experience, right? That's why so many of us are here. Fascinating stuff. Even when it gets pretty dark, it does get dark. Agree. That, yes, Rockford, I'm learning every week at Unfound. Well, great. I'm glad education. We're all about the education here at Unfound. Uh, I do not care about making the podcast entertaining. Although here on Monday nights, this is a little bit of entertainment that goes on, but the podcast itself, we're all learning and everything. uh, That is news. All right, let's move on to this. And this is a disappearance that hits um, pretty close to home, uh, forgive the pun to me, because it happened very close to where I used to live. And we're now just passing the 39th anniversary of the disappearance of Sherry Mahan. I don't know how many of you really know about her disappearance. Um, I do because it, uh, um, you know, happened maybe... How long, how far would I say away? Less than a half hour from where I lived in Leechburg, Pennsylvania at the time. And I did, of course, live in Leechburg in 1985. Sherry Mahan disappeared from her bus stop in Winfield Township on February 22nd, 1985. And despite time, family and law enforcement, and despite time, family and law enforcement have not forgotten the missing wide-eyed girl. Sherry's mother, Janice McKinney, said the 39th anniversary of her eight-year-old daughter's disappearance has become harder to bear. Nonetheless, she will continue standing at the bottom of her old driveway on Corn Planter Road until she knows the truth. I'm paying tribute to her, so it brings her life and what happened to her into the public one more time. And I'll do it every year until she comes home or I'm on the other side of the grass, McKinney said, meaning until she's deceased. Some of McKinney's friends will join her at the bottom of the driveway at 4 p.m. Thursday, and she knows many more who can't attend are there in spirit. McKinney recalled February 22, 1985, as a Friday with pleasant weather, the snow was starting to melt. She had the day off and remembered talking to Cherie as she walked with her down the steep driveway to catch the bus that morning. Cherie, Cherie, uh, Cherie was a third grader student grader at the former Winfield Elementary School in South Butler County School District, now the Knock School District, K-N-O-C-H. 
I took her down to put her on the bus and she gave me orders of what she wanted. McKinney elaborated that Sherry was a talkative girl and told her mother she planned to come home after school, eat dinner, and go to a friend's house. The rest of the story is well known to community members and investigators. According to Max DeLuca, the detective with State Police's Criminal Investigation Unit handles Sherry's case. The school bus arrived back on Corn Planter Road just after 4 p.m. Sherry exited her school bus with three other children. The stop was approximately 100 yards from her residence. After she got off the bus, Sherry was never seen again. According to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, she was last seen wearing a gray coat, blue denim skirt, blue leg warmers, and beige boots. McKinney said she and her husband, Leroy, Sherry's stepfather, both recalled hearing the school bus from their residence up the hill. When I heard the bus and she didn't come up, I knew something was up. McKinney said her family moved to Corn Planter Road from Saxonburg, where Sherry grew up. Shortly after the move, she said her daughter kept saying someone was looking in at her from outside the window. Now, I have to be honest, I've never heard that story before. This resulted in her daughter requesting to move bedrooms, according to McKinney. When we moved, I should have known something was wrong. Was there somebody I don't know, she said. Witnesses reported seeing a blue or green van traveling behind Sherry's school bus, as well as a blue-colored sedan in the area. Vehicle operators have not been identified or located, uh, investigators said. A drawing of the van described by witnesses depicting a skier skier and slope along the side was constructed to aid the investigation. DeLuca said it would have been especially useful when Sherry first went missing as the vehicle was likely still being driven. Sherry's case is considered active, not cold, as tips continue to come in, especially around the date of Sherry's disappearance. Unlike most of the other unsolved cases in Butler County, this case receives tips, DeLuca said. Hundreds of people have been interviewed in connection to the case, those with and without criminal records. The file was stored in multiple filing cabinets. Get this. The file was stored in multiple filing cabinets with just under 4,000 pages of typed or handwritten reports. The additional tips, evidence, pictures, and other documents take up more space. Tips on the Mayhan case constantly come into the barracks. The tips have been sent through Crime Stoppers, phone calls, letters, emails, through National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. Some tips want to speak with a detective and some are anonymous. The tips come from all over the U.S. and some will come as far as way, from as far away as Europe. DeLuca says Sherry's case has passed through several investigators' hands and it remains one state police want to see solved. Detectives want to solve all of their unsolved cases, but cases with child victims can weigh more on an investigator, especially cases where the child has not been located. The amount of time that has elapsed since Sherry's disappearance makes this case difficult to solve. He added that as time goes on, people with knowledge of the incident may die or grow too old to cooperate with law enforcement. Sherry was declared legally dead, and it's the third time this has come up uh, tonight on this show. Very, very unusual. Sherry was legally declared dead in November 1998 by common County Common Police Court Judge Thomas Doerr, according to the Butler Eagle article. Doerr fixed the missing purse, uh, missing girl's date of death as February 22nd, 1992, as individuals must be missing for seven years to be declared dead. The declaration allowed McKinney to donate $58,000 to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Sherry's name. The money was initially collected as a reward for anyone with information that would help find Sherry. February will always be difficult for McKinney as the month marks Sherry's disappearance and the death of her husband six years ago. Despite the difficulty of remembering, it does not stop her from standing at the bottom of the driveway every year. 
Tips about Sherry's case can be submitted to the Butler State Police Barracks. I know exactly where that is. By calling 724, in fact, I've been in that building, uh, 724-284-8100 through the website for National Missing and Exploited Children at missingkids.org through Pennsylvania Crime Stoppers by calling 1-800-4PA-TIPS, that's 8477, or on the website, uh, p3tips.com. So, um, like I said, this is a disappearance that I uh, I would have been 14 at the time. This would have been the same year, 1985, that I went to Mesa Verde with my parents later that year. Once again, 1985 coming up again. So weird. Um. I remember when this happened. I remember this being all over the papers for a long time. I remember me and myself and friends of mine talking about it. I remember pictures of this van with a skier on the side, and I'm going to talk to the, about that in a bit. This picture of a skier with a, a a van with a skier on it. I can remember being posted in Leechburg, where I grew up, like at like the post office or gas stations or whatever. Just remember a lot, a lot, a lot about this. Now, um, you know, did it have any effect on how my parents viewed me going to school or anything? Not really. Um, like I said, I was 14 at the time and, uh, my mother would actually drop me off at school every day and then I would get a ride home somehow. Uh, you know, it'd be one of those things where throughout the day I'd be trying to figure out a way to ride home with somebody. Um, but but I didn't actually go to the location of where this occurred until 2017. Um, I think it was 2017 or 2018. That I actually, one of the times I was back in Pennsylvania to see my parents, this was certainly before my mother died. This must have been, must have been 2017. But I went there and coincidentally, uh, a woman I went to high school with, she was a year behind me. Her husband was on the bus that day. So we met up near there where she, where Sherry would have gotten off the bus. And we kind of looked around the area and walked that area. And you can see that video right on this YouTube channel right now. It's like, I'm not saying it's the first video that was ever put on this channel, but it's very, very right there at the beginning of when this YouTube channel started. And, you know, it's out in the country of Pennsylvania. I wouldn't say there's anything unusual about it. There are houses around. I mean, where the bus stop, where the bus stopped, I mean, there is a house like right there. And it did, it did seem to me, looking at it, it did seem to me it would be a weird place that a bus would stop the lot of kids because, kids because it was like around a blind curve kind of. But nobody's arguing that. This is what happened. She was on the bus. She got off the bus. And something happened. Now, my concern about now being from Pennsylvania and hearing about this van, of course, my concern continues to be. And maybe I've even talked about this 
with other with disappearances we've actually covered in front and found. Maybe we'll get to Sherry Mahan's disappearance this year. Maybe. Um, that seemingly this van was not seen before or after. Now I will tell you, there were a lot of rumors about this van being seen. And you can even go on to Web Sleuth, being that we're just talking about it, and really go deep back into the threads on YouTube about Sherry's disappearance and find people who will claim, you know, that, oh, yeah, I lived in Western Pennsylvania and I knew a person down the street who had a van like that or something. Of course, I reject all of it. So don't get, if you do that, don't get caught up in that stuff. But I, what I also know is that these pictures of this van, in my understanding, as best as you could do back in the 1980s, the pictures or drawing, not pictures, but actually sketches of the van, this went all over the United States. And how many vans do you think out there was a, was a van with a skier on the side? Probably one. And still, this van was never located. Now, I can understand after the fact the van, you know, somebody like getting it, you know, repainting it. You know, let's just take for granted a guy did this. Repainted it, you know, did a really hatchet homemade job of it because, oh, I got sand. I got to cover this up. I can certainly understand that. Or just trashed the van, drove it into a lake somewhere. Makes all the sense in the world. My concern is it doesn't seem like this van was seen before Sherry went missing. So did this person just get the van painted right before kidnapping Sherry? That doesn't seem very likely either. So I have to admit to you having lived with this and had almost 40 years to think about this, and now the last seven and a half years covering disappearances all this time, I really wonder if this van really ever existed. Is this just another example of what we talk about so often on Unfound of people just saying stuff? Oh, I don't know. I saw a van, you know, because people think, well, if kids get kidnapped, oh, it must be, you know, they, the, you know, a sliding door, the van slid out and some guy jumped out through a bag and slid the door shut and went off. That's like your Hollywood thing. I'm not saying it's never happened in real life, but the whole scenario just sounds a little too Hollywood for me, especially since this van, which certainly would have been absolutely unique, never seen anywhere. You would think that somebody who does body shop painting, or I mean, this is a something where a van would have had to have been bought and then somebody painted it and took the time to paint it, and I guess painted it fairly well. Somebody who has skills. You know, they didn't do wraps back then like you see in cars these days. You know, the plastic or wrap that you put on a car. This had to have, would have had to have been painted on. Also, what strikes me about this disappearance is that I would be very surprised if somebody owning a, like a van like that, like what we might call a conversion van, you know, from like the 70s or whatever, you know. Uh, you know, with a bed and the, you know, the disco ball in the back and everything. People think of those things. Um, for somebody to have a van like that in Pennsylvania and get ha have a skier put on the side of it. Although skiing can be done. You know, we have seven springs and 
And we do, there are mountains, of course, in Pennsylvania, and it does snow, and there are ski resorts and everything. But skiing is not really like a big thing in Pennsylvania. So it would be surprise me that somebody would buy a van and be so into skiing in Pennsylvania that they would get a skier put on the side of the van. That seems like something more likely that would happen in Utah or Vermont or Colorado, like Vail or Aspen or something like that, or Idaho. Not Pennsylvania, once again, the way I look at my home state. It would be like, um, you know, if somebody had a conversion van in Pennsylvania and they actually got like surfboards, like a surfing setting put on in Pennsylvania, it wouldn't make any, a lot of sense. So this is also something that comes uh, to mind. So I really wonder if this ever existed. Um, you know, the, also the tough thing about Sherry's disappearance is that she was eight, eight years old. She would remember if she got kidnapped and somebody wanted to raise her as their own, she would remember her prior life. This wasn't like she was four. She's eight. And we all know if you have a good enough memory, we remember it back to being eight years old. What also catches my attention about this disappearance is that her, her parents were divorced at that time. And, you know, it's all her, it's her mother that's done the talking all these years. I really don't know what her father has to say about all this. But I will be honest that even though I know her mother's doing all this, has done news and everything for years, I still can't rule out the idea that Sherry, Sherry actually did make it home that day. I can't rule that out. We just have to understand something. The timing on this would have had to have been absolutely perfect. Given that somebody... If this really was somebody following the bus, and this is somebody that would have had to have known that she got off at that stop every day. And for some reason, this person picked Sherry out of all the other kids that were getting off the bus that day. And we also have to remember, as it said in the article, other kids got off the bus at the same time. So, um, this is, it's tough. It, it's a really tough one. You know, people seeing this van, the van is never seen before or after. Kids get off the bus with Sherry. They don't see anything. And of course, there would be, these kids would have no reason to lie. Um, the timing would have to be perfect and on and on and on and on. Fairly complex. Somebody... It wasn't somebody just happening to ride by, if it was some stranger or something. But like I said, at this point, I'm still not ready to roll out the idea that she really did make it home that day. So what is everybody uh, saying uh, about this? Uh, Uh, 39 years ago, oh Lord, she was the very first milk carton disappearance I remember. So, uh, Sheree remembers it, even though Sheree was not in Pennsylvania. Uh, Rockford's a PG show. Uh, what, what did Rockford say that, uh, 
got agreed to front. But I have a suggestion about work. Oh, about the Astros. Yeah, we're not going to get into that, Rockford. I'm not getting in the middle of that. Uh, a rule follower. Uh, thank you. Uh, Shri has posted in the uh, group, in the chat, the link to my Sherry Mahan video where I was there on location and talked about it. Yeah, July 2018. Thank you. Unfound coverage. Summer of 2018. It's going to be six years ago. Crazy. Yeah, everybody check that out. Uh, it wasn't a whole episode. It was just on the scene. That's all it was. Um, Julie, we've all been really lucky. I've done silly stuff. You too. Uh, you, me too, Julie. Uh, Jesse, and, all right. So from earlier in this uh, discussion, Jesse and Luke have been found. This goes back to these uh, this Australian murderer. Uh, Stephanie says Pennsylvania does have the Poconos. I know the Poconos real well. My aunt and uncle used to have a place there. Could go skiing there. Sure. I am aware that I love Pennsylvania and Ohio. Rockford says agree on Pennsylvania generally not being a ski haven, but keep in mind how big ski culture was in the 80s. Remembering all those horrible movies from that area, South Park did a great parody of them. Okay. I guess what I'm saying, you know, it would just wouldn't be my first date, and it would really, I think something like that would really, really stick out in Pennsylvania, no matter where you are. Whereas if somebody has a conversion van in Idaho and you have a skier on the side, it's just like, oh, yeah. So there you go. I, I'm not familiar with, uh, yeah, uh, with Sherry's disappearance. Yeah, uh, you have to look into it. Maybe you want to start with that video, Kathy. You can start, um, if you, maybe you want to go to Web Sleuths. Pages and pages and pages to read. Charlotte loves Pennsylvania, Ohio, too. Yeah, uh, well, you got to check it out, Kathy, if you have some spare time. Sherry Mahan, M-A-H-A-N. It is on NamUs and on the Charlie Project. So I wanted to bring that up. 39 years. Uh, it is a stumper, very unique. Of course, we know that kids get kidnapped and everything, but... Um, having been there and looked at the situation and talking to the guy that was on the bus that day and everything else. If somebody picked her up off the street, man, that was perfect timing. Really, really perfect timing, especially get since nobody saw it as well. I mean, I don't, I don't have to tell you. All right, one more thing. Uh, for all of you YouTube uh, and Patreon supporters, I have picked out the next found episode. I'm going to be working on it tomorrow and Wednesday. I'm going to do, and this should maybe motivate some of you to become um, supporters on Patreon and YouTube. I'm going to be covering from disappearance to discovery the Romanovs, the royal family of Russia who, of course, were murdered at the beginning of the Russian Revolution. But remember, their remains were not found until 1991. So 1918 to 1991. And so I'm going to go over what caused their disappearance, everything that was going on, everything that went on in the meantime, and then how their remains were found in 1991, including Anastasia. And, of course, I'm going to get into all of the women who, have, who claim to be Anastasia over those years. Of course, they were all faking it. I'm going to get into all of that for the next episode of Found. However, that is only available to Patreon people at the $5 a month level and above. 
and to people who are have joined, not subscribers, but actually people who have joined hitting the button below here on YouTube. I think a lot of you are going to find that very interesting, um, and I can't wait to start uh, working on it tomorrow. So let's now go to, I kind of run out of time tonight, really packed show. This Friday, we are going to cover the disappearance of Sylvia Galvin, G-A-L-V-A-N. She is on the Charlie Project. She is on NamUs. She went missing from Mount Morris, Michigan. The accepted disappearance date is October 1st of 2011, but I can assure you that it was at least a week, if not two weeks before that. The guest is her daughter, Daisy. It's the, I, I had to go back and check it. This is the second guest whose name has been Daisy. Now, what's really cool is Daisy had, uh, Sylvia has three other daughters besides Daisy. And the other daughters are also named after flowers. I think there's Lily, Jasmine, and another daughter. They're all named after flowers. I think that's spectacular. This situation, uh, Sylvia had a lot of problems in her life. And in fact, uh, Sylvia did not raise Daisy. At the time of Sylvia's disappearance, Daisy was being raised by Sylvia's mother. Uh, Sylvia had a lot of good things going on and did not have, only had actual custody of one of her four daughters. And that was the daughter that she had with the guy she was living with, whose name is Joel, at the time of her disappearance. Now, I haven't picked out the title for this episode yet, but it's going to have something along with digging or or garden or something like that in the title in the title because you're going to find out about something that went on at this house where Sylvia was living uh, right around the time she went missing and as best as I can tell by talking to Daisy Really, this possibility has not yet been explored, even though it's been over 12 years. So that's this Friday. Sylvia Gelvin, G-A-L-V-A-N, Mount Morse, Michigan, went missing probably late September of 2011. Her daughter, Daisy, who did a fantastic interview. She coincidentally lives here in the Tampa area. And uh, you will hear that on Friday. So that's all I have uh, for tonight. Um, Yep, uh, I agree, Julie. Uh, Good point. And thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, huh? Thanks. They're breaking news alert on my phone. Yeah, uh, that's what uh, somebody else, Michelle, just posted that as well, the real thank you. So everybody's going to go check out Australian news now, as they should. That's all I have for you tonight. Remember to like this video. Subscribe to this channel. We're almost to 17,000 subscribers. And um, what else? Please join this channel if you feel like it. And you will hear me and Daisy on Friday. That's all I got. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Thank you, Christine. Uh, Charlie, good to see you. Say hi to the kids for me. And for all of you listening to this as a podcast, uh, please give this uh, podcast five stars, a thumbs up on whatever app you are using. Good night.